Hi guys, thanks for tuning in this episode of the Nick Egan Times. On this episode, we have an awesome guest. We have Sean Eli, who is a stand-up comedian, does corporate and charity events, performs at theatres, has done headline shows on five continents. Uh, more than a smart, funny, and clever um, comedian, Sean is determined to express his opinion passionately, not surprising for someone who wrote his first satirical essay at age 10. When profiled in Fortune magazine, Tonight Show host Jay Leno quoted one of Sean's jokes, citing it is an example of the type of smart comedy He's happy to include in his opening monologue. Jay and other late night hosts have used Sean's topical material in the monologue for almost two decades. Welcome, Sean, and thanks for coming on my podcast. Thanks. I'm happy to be here, and I do want to say that one of those five continents is Australia. Wow. Whereabouts have you been? Sydney, um, Melbourne? Yep, and Hobart. Favorite place here? Uh, my cousins invited me to Hobart. Wow. Okay. All right, that's a lie. I know the <laughs> reputation. I know the reputation Tasmania has in Australia. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Believe it, my Believe it. What's going over there? Things are good here. Um, we're g- getting back to normal. Most of America's vaccinated because you know we're greedy and kept it all for ourselves. So uh, I did my first in-person indoor show two nights ago in in over yeah. a year. How'd that feel? It was great. It's actually the first place I've been where nobody was wearing a mask because where I live in the New York area, even though most people are vaccinated, everybody's still wearing masks in stores. But in the theater, everybody took their masks off and I did on stage as well. And it it felt normal for the first time. Amazing. How has life been um, prior, obviously, to you doing your first show? Previously from when the COVID hit, how have that affected your life personally and professionally? You talking about COVID? Yeah, yeah. So when did it say last year? Yeah, um, it pretty much shut down almost every comedy show. Um, I did some shows outdoors, which went surprisingly well, because comedians, as a rule, hate outdoor shows. I say the secret to comedy is 100 people in a room that holds 70. Because what you want is people closely packed the wall's close, the ceiling low, so the laughter can echo because the audience wants to hear other people laughing too, so they're not self-conscious about laughing. And when you move the show outdoors, you have none of that. But people were so starved for laughter that outdoor shows were like indoor shows. <laughs> but I got, I, also got, I got good at Zoom shows. It took some, took some practice, but we basically figured out how to work Zoom, which took a few months. <laughs> uh, that's um great insights. I didn't even know that. That's obviously that's why um comedians like it indoors because of yeah, yeah, and and I actually put in my contract. This was years ago, you know, a couple of years after I started. It actually says you may not move the show from indoors to outdoors without my express written permission, which I will not give you. Because <laughs> I had somebody. I had somebody move an indoor show to outdoors, and it was just, it wasn't terrible, but it was so much harder. Yeah. How did you get coming? Take us back. Tell us the story of how that all transpired for you. Well, there's two stories. Uh, I started writing comedy in my 30s, I think in my early 30s. Uh, Jay Leno just had been given the, the hosting duties of The Tonight Show, and... 
I assume people there. Well, I don't know if people there know who Jay Leno is anymore. Yeah, I used to watch Jay Leno when I was younger on um, cable. Like we used to get it on cable. So yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, because it's um, it's been twenty years. So when he first got the Tonight Show, I would be reading the newspaper in the morning, and I'd think of a joke based on current events, and I'd watch the show that night, and he'd be telling the same joke, and I thought, well, I can do this. So I started pitching him jokes and selling jokes to the Tonight Show. And to give you an idea how long ago that was, jokes were sent by fax. There was no email back then. And really? and then 18 years ago, I was on a date with somebody, and she said, well, you should try stand-up comedy. And I said, I have no interest in performing. And she said, well, why don't you take a class before you decide that? She had just taken a comedy class, and I started taking the class. And it seemed to go pretty well. I started performing at open mic nights and new talent shows. And after six years, I sort of had two jobs, my day job and my night job. And I got rid of the lucrative one in favor of the fun one. Insightful. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, well done for you on that. Um, what was it like working or dealing with Jay Leno? He's very nice. You know, it was years before I actually even met him because it was all just done by phone calls and, and the facts. But when I went wow. to California, I went. I was in California, and I said, hey, can I stop by The Tonight Show and meet him? And they said, sure. So they gave me a ticket to the show, and I watched the show from the audience and then spoke to him afterwards. And I have to say, he's really nice. He will take the time to talk to anybody. Awesome. And um, tell me, when you traveled, you said, obviously, you've been to the five continents, including Australia. Um, tell me about that, and what was your favorite country and continents you have traveled to? Oh, this is going to cause a fight. Because I was going to say, when I say five continents, including Australia, I probably should say five continents, including Oceania. Because yeah. New Zealand, I think New Zealand was my favorite country. Yeah, that's all right. And um, where, what, what made you like New Zealand? What was it about New Zealand? Uh, well, my opening act drove me around. The people were really friendly. It had a small town feel everywhere you went. Because, you know, the biggest city in New Zealand... I think you probably fit the whole population of New Zealand into Sydney. So it's, it really, it felt like Canada to the U.S., you know, the, the, the neighborly country that was just friendly. But um, an interesting thing happened when we were in New Zealand. We were in the south half of the South Island, and we needed to get back to Christchurch for our final theater show on a Saturday night. And the next day I was supposed to fly to Australia, and I had a prepaid airline, you know, non-refundable airline ticket. And some river overflowed. I don't remember the name of the river, but it's the one that runs right across the middle of the South Island. And we couldn't get across because all the bridges were out. And we, I had to charter an airplane to get across to, to get to our wow. final shoot. So it cost me $1,000 New Zealand to charter a little propeller, two, uh, I think it was a six-seat propeller plane to get across. Well, how was that experience going in such a small plane? Well, actually, to me, <laughs> to me, it was a big plane because I have a pilot's license, so I'm used to flying four seat planes. I'd never been in a six seat plane before. This was a twin. <laughs> I'd only been in single single engine planes, but it was kind of funny because my my opening act, the guy who booked the shows, was trying to find flights, and I we were looking, and there were no flights. And I said, "Well, let me find a flight school because." I figure they could fly me. And he went looking for charters and we went to this flight. We went to a flight school and I said, can you, do you have a plane? They said, yeah. I said, can you fly me 
across. And they said, no, we're not licensed to do charters. We're only licensed as a flight school. And I said, well, you know what? I'm an American pilot, and I'm interested in learning about what it's like to fly in New Zealand, especially landing at all the different airports in New Zealand, starting with Christchurch. And I thought that was a good loophole. And he said, well, that would be a great idea, but but it's too windy for our single-engine planes. But there's a guy coming in in a twin in a little while. Ask him. So so he, he landed, and I said, can you take us over? And he did. Yeah, that's an amazing story. Yeah, I thought uh, it was what, is, what, what is Fire Sean Daly? Uh, I, I think I have the greatest job in the world. I get, I get paid to make people laugh. So I, if I can wake up and go somewhere and make people laugh for anywhere from five minutes to an hour, to me, that's a great day. And a day that I don't have a show, I still can write jokes, I can rehearse jokes, I can contact venues to try to find places to have shows. So every day to me is, is another opportunity to do what I do. Uh, cool. And um, do you have any jokes you can share with us? Um, do you have escape rooms in Australia? Yes, we do. Okay. Yeah. So, so a friend, you know, right after the pandemic, a friend told me he he was going to take me to an escape room. He told me it was an escape room. Turns out he just locked me in the closet. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> nice. um, what's the best thing that's ever happened in your life? The best. Wow, that's a hard question. It might be that somebody on a first date said, "Hey, why don't you try stand up comedy?" I think that's great. I've, I'm single, so I can't say like marriage or birth of kids, but I can say I've dated some remarkable women. But I think that maybe getting started in stand-up comedy is the best thing that's ever happened. Oh, second, um, being being on this podcast is the best thing that's ever happened. Oh, thank you. You're invited again. <laughs> uh, no, that's wonderful. Um, what, um, what are your passions and hobbies? What do you like to do in your outside time away from the comedy scene? Uh, well, I love my job, so I don't know if that counts as a hobby if they pay me for it. Maybe it does because there are also times I do it for free. Uh, I like to cook. I like to drink wine. I was a competitive rower for 14 years. I still row, although I don't race anymore. So I still try to row almost every day, weather permitting. And, and that's, that's most of my life. Do you do that in uh, New York where you are? I do it in New York. I live just north of New York City, right near the Long Island Sound. And the reason I live here instead of New York City is because I was on the New York Athletic Club rowing team, and the boathouse is right here. And if I lived in New York City, it would be an impossible commute to to drive in, to drive to the boathouse in the morning to work out, and then make it back into New York City for a you know for a nine o'clock job. So it made more sense to live here and take the train. And I've been here ever since. Uh, sounds like you're definitely really busy. Um, what are the plans for the future for you? So, are you like obviously borders eventually will start to reopen? Is that something where you're headed to go overseas again? I I do want to. I as I said, I was in Australia, New Zealand. That was in December 2019. So that was right before the pandemic. And yeah. from there, from there, I went to Thailand and and performed there for a week. And then I flew back to the states, figuring. Okay, I'm going to start booking shows all over the world. I want to travel more. Um, but then the pandemic hit, and you know, America's pretty safe. But places that I would want to travel to, like you know, Asia, for instance, or or parts of Europe, are not 
you know, they still have a lot of COVID and not a lot of vaccinated people. So it may be another two years before I get back on the road. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Similar to you, we've, we're, we're taking a very long time to get us fully vaccinated. I think we're in under 10% farmers population being vaccinated. Oh, wow. so. Yeah, they've, they've taken it really slow, but they've handled it well. But just, yeah, like we've actually got cases currently that have come back up again. So yeah, it's a bit intense again here. Yeah, um, here, I'm in New York where people, you know, most people wanted to get vaccinated. But parts of this country, people are just against it for some reason, and they're going to have more COVID. Yeah, right. Is that, um, what happens there? They say they, so they can just refuse it. They don't have to get the vaccine. It's not mandatory. No, it's not even refuse. You have to ask for it. You have to go somewhere and get vaccinated. So if they don't go, they don't get vaccinated. And I don't know how it works legally. Technically, it's approved on an emergency basis. So the military, which can force soldiers to get vaccinated, can't force the COVID vaccine on members of the military because of the way it's, categorized. But I mean, employers have the right to say, if you're not vaccinated, don't come in. Yeah, but they're afraid to do that, most of them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I thought for some reason I thought it was mandatory. So, yeah, no. Yeah. Did you say it again? Yeah, Sorry? Yeah. Say it again? I wish it were. I wish they could make it mandatory. Be a lot safer. Yeah, I know. I'm the same here, too. So that way we can just get back to normal. We can travel again overseas. Yeah. Well, what's the date when they think everybody in Australia will have been vaccinated? How long is a piece of string? <laughs> well, I don't know. I assume they know how how fast it's, you know, how many people live in Australia and how many doses you're buying. Um, well, they've done about a million people currently. I was looking at the stats the other day. And we've got about 25 million as an overall population. Each state manages it, like state by state of the distribution of it. And I was reading an article in the news this morning that um, New South Wales have actually asked for an increase of 100% of places because they're just going so slow. So I personally um, enlisted to get the vaccine in August because it's just a backlog and what the time it's taking to get it, um, to get vaccinated. So yeah, it's going to be it's going to be the process. Um, I'm personally hoping that they obviously speed it up and move a lot faster than we can all get vaccinated and things will go back to normal again. That's the way I see it. So by next, by your next summer, probably everybody will be vaccinated. You'd hope so, yeah. And maybe I'll come back. Well, you're welcome. We'll have a beer. You, you have great comedy clubs in, in Australia. Uh, where in Australia are you? Uh, Sydney. Okay, good. I did a cu- couple of great shows in Sydney. Melbourne has a giant comedy club. Yeah, they've got the festival too. Yeah. Comedy festival. Well, I hope I hope I can make that as well. Yeah. Did you ever come to Manly in Sydney? To where? Manly. Manly. Yeah, that's where I live. Oh, I don't remember. Okay. Yeah. See the beach. It is the beach. Oh, then then I probably did. <laughs> yeah. And again, you could do things differently. So you could go back in time. What would you change? I, I, I'm not sure this is the right answer for me because I always loved stand up comedy as a kid and I was always too scared to get on stage. So I didn't start stand up till I was 40. And I think maybe I would go back in time and start stand up right after university. However, I definitely didn't have the same level of wisdom then that I do now. And I might have started at age 20 or 22 and then just been horrible at it and quit. So I'm not sure that I should have started at a younger age, but I 
I'd like to think that it would have worked out better for me. Yeah, okay. That's, yeah, that's, that's really impressive. Um, in, in your opinion, where do you see the United States headed going into the future? Uh, generally speaking. Digging out from the hole that we dug over the last four years? <laughs> I take it you weren't a fan of Trump. Not at all. You know, it's it's funny. I, when I started in stand-up, I did a little bit of political comedy, and then I realized that's a good way to piss off half your audience. No matter, you know, or at least a third of your audience is going to hate you if you do political comedy. So I stopped. And then overseas, when Trump was president, people really wanted to know where I stood as soon as they heard I was an American. So I would open with a Trump joke and then get that out of the way, and then I could do the rest of my act. <laughs> yeah, that's really insightful. Sean, thank you for joining my podcast. I really oh, you're appreciate welcome. it. I think you've done amazing um, stuff to date, and yeah, your trajectory is great. Thanks. And if if people want to come see me, um, book me to come to Australia or, or wherever you are. And if you look right there, assuming I'm pointing in the right place. It has yeah. my website, which is brainchampagne.com, so you can contact me through there.